0: Out of Oklahoma City, you're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family.
1: For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com.
2: And welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast Where a bunch of people gather around a table And we gather around perhaps turkeys, or geese, and other um, fine feathered friends and eat them uh, for Christmas. And we talk about films that you will not discuss in the course of a film studies class. This week's film is a host pick from one Mr. Caleb Masters. Thanks, Caleb.
0: Oh yeah, no problem. I'm really excited to talk
2: about it. And so we are looking at the Muppet Christmas Carol. And uh, it is exactly what it is. It is the Christmas Carol. Uh, Charles Dickens' great little novella uh, made into a Muppet movie. I'm very, very excited to be talking about this with my illustrious co who who um, I think need to be introduced right now. Uh, we'll go with the most energy first. Mr. Dalton Stewart. Uh, <laughs> I do have the most energy this morning. <laughs> Why don't you
1: introduce yourself? Um, we're recording much earlier than we normally do. My name is Dalton Stewart and <laughs> a humbug.
2: <laughs> Thank you very much. Around the table to the left, ma'am. Who are you?
3: My name's Alexander Bohannon, and mother always taught me never eat singing food. <laughs>
2: That's a good wor- r- rule and word to live by. Thank you very much
0: uh, for that. To my right, sir, who are you again? Uh, my name's Caleb Masters, and Dustin, you will love podcast. It's the American way. Psst, 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 psst. It is the British way.
2: Mm, Yes, yes. Thank you uh, very much uh, for that. My name is Dustin Sells, and uh, that was uh, predictable. And that was, uh, you know, very, very silly, Mr. Dalton Stewart, but it was short, so I liked it. And uh, therefore, (laughs) I'm glad of it. See, (laughs) uh,
1: that's the story of my life. (laughs) Predictable, silly. But short, but short. Um, less so on the short bit. But anyway, uh, we'll talk more about
2: that here. <laughs> I see. Ask around. Head shaking <laughs> everywhere. Uh, we're going to talk about this film now. In case this is the first time you've tuned in here at Year's End of
1: uh, the Good Trash genre cast. This is our f- our final show proper of the year.
2: Well, yeah, we have one more to go. We have the Shelvies coming up next week, and that's going to be exciting. It's our award show where we
1: award the films that we talked about over the course of the that's year. It's uh, masturbatory and self congratulatory. Or just like Tory. the
3: Academy, so Yeah. I, I tend to think of
2: it as a viewer's guide to the I, year. I, I like to
1: think of it as a fun, yeah, recap of of what's come and what's coming.
2: And and I think sometimes people get a new Multimedia, you know, device That catches pods in different Ways, and they can hear that show and go, oh This is the parts of the back catalog I ought to Look at based on the recommends of The host of the show, but that's coming up next No, that's not what's happening right now, what's About to happen, uh, in case you have Tuned in for the first time, is We're going to uh, generally avoid spoilers And uh, we're going to find out that Scrooge just needed to find his sled We're going to avoid that uh, for the get-go In the first part of the show, we'll do is a synopsis from the voice of the cinema, then we'll do our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews which tend to be spoiler free. We'll move into our gameplay which can be spoilerific uh, regarding the film in question. Can you spoil A Christmas Carol? I mean, it it, <laughs> it could. There was there was a first time for all of us. I remember that the first time I saw it was 100 years after it was produced. So there is a first time for everyone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a sled, guys. That's what I'm saying. Uh, But nonetheless, uh, after we get into our spoiler space, uh, we will uh, give you a a little heads up, tell you we're getting down to business, and that business being analysis, and that's the spoilerific, spoilerage zone. So uh, you have been scrooged and warned about all of that. So without any further ado, we're going to hear from The Voice, the Dollar Theater, yet again this week, and hear the uh, synopsis to the film Muppet. Christmas Carol.
1: I like it better when you call me the voice of the Dalton Theater. The Muppet characters tell their version of the classic tale of an old and bitter miser's redemption on Christmas Eve. Also, this is the ideal voice for saying the word redemption. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Well, I'm going to go to you first, Mr. Caleb Masters, picker of the film. Thumbs up, thumbs down, review. What have you to say about The Muppet Christmas Carol?
0: I, I mean, it's still my favorite version of The Muppet, of the uh, Christmas Carol. I've seen, I mean, at, God, started thinking about it, at least like nine or ten different iterations in a film of The Christmas Carol and you know this is the first one i saw as a kid and it really sticks around and there are a couple of really you know great seconds that i might r- recommend later but this this one's still great it's got charm it's got personality it's got all the fun muppet stuff i really like it's it's kind of meta and poking fun at, at the the story proper um, which which is really great, and you know, just the, the the casting of specific Muppets in certain roles is is pretty pretty clever. So it makes for fun. Uh, Michael Caine K- uh, is still the best Scrooge that I've seen by a lot. Like, uh, and, and there's some other great Scrooges out there, but it's just like every other version's just not as good as Michael Kane He just brings the whole range of the character uh, to the forefront, I think. Um, but I would I will say um, musical numbers top notch. I mean, I don't know. It's nice and it's nice and short, so it makes for a really easy watch, and I just can't stop singing the songs in my head this season, so yeah.
2: Alrighty, well thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what do you say in terms of your thumbs up, thumbs down review?
3: Uh, This is my favorite Muppets movie. I'm a diehard Muppets fan, so you kind of know where my prejudices lie. Um, I would say that everything about this movie is excellent. It's the perfect Christmas movie. I I feel as if every time you put this on i i will cry at the same parts i'm a huge huge sap and yeah i, I could talk for a really long time about this why this movie is great but i'm sure that i have there are differing opinions at the table and i'd be interested to hear those
2: all righty well thank you very much for that miss alexander bohannon mr dalton stewart what say you
1: uh i'm tired of uh, puppets coming here from puppet land and taking all the jobs so that's where my prejudice is holy lie. shit don't no, I I I don't really have much of a relationship with the muppets I mean I am familiar with them obviously I thought the uh, muppets baby cartoon was a uh, pretty rad when I was 9 oh yeah we love that um but I, I, yeah I don't I don't really have the relationship with the with the, the muppets that I, I think you uh, have Alex and that I think you have Caleb but I did I enjoyed it a lot it was a really sweet little film it was very cute uh, Michael Caine w- was Michael Caine I mean he was absolutely fucking amazing I read this great thing where uh, he said to Brian Henson uh, I'm gonna play this totally straight I'm just gonna you know I'm not gonna acknowledge the fact that I am talking to puppets I'm just gonna play this 100% straight like I'm in the Royal Shakespeare Company and Brian Henson was like yeah man yeah, you got it. You're you're in, and I think that shows throughout the film. I mean, Michael Caine is operating on a whole nother level, um, and it's it's really great to cut back and forth between uh, Gonzo as uh, Dickens and uh, Rizzo the Rat uh, having their their fun silly times, uh, cutting back and forth between them and Michael Caine like doing some really serious shit. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I, I the musical numbers were fine. I they were fine. Um, they were cute. They were fine. Um. It is definitely a, a movie that I could see myself falling in love with. had I seen it when I was a child, like you guys? I this is the first time I've ever seen this. Um,
3: Blows my mind. By I, the way. I just no. I mean, it just
1: kind of the way it worked out. Yeah. Um, I've seen uh, Muppets uh, Treasure Island, which is great. That movie is also amazing. amazing. Yeah, you know, with Tim like C- that movie. Tim Curry as uh, oh, yeah. Long John Silver. Yeah, that one's fucking great. Um, th- this is one of those things that yeah, I think I just missed the ship on. Um, yeah. But that said, I did really enjoy it. I mean, it was a, it was a perfectly fun watch. Uh, And again, Michael Caine is the bee's knees in this movie. Uh, I I just think it's absolutely astonishing. um, The performance he he decided to turn in, uh, because I think a lot of other actors would not have turned in that good of a performance. Um, But yeah, it's, it's fine. Do you like A Christmas Carol? Okay, well, then you'll probably enjoy this. Do you find it to be a tired story? Because it's tired. Then yeah, you'll probably feel about how I feel about it.
2: Fair enough. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I have to say, I'm a bit more middling uh, in my rewatch of this film. Now, this because you, you also grew up with. I grew it, up with this movie along with these two, and I haven't watched it since I was ten, probably. Oh wow! And uh, so it's a long time. It, 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 yeah, it's been a minute.
1: Well, that's impossible because you were twelve when it came out. But well, okay,
2: yeah, <laughs> so, that's valid. Okay, so I was twelve. You know, 12 yeah, but you haven't seen it since like yeah. the early nineties, the early parts of the nineties. Yeah, I haven't seen it. You know, and uh, been through it uh, since. The I have to say that um I I think the the musical bits are weak, uh, frankly. Yeah, they uh, didn't
1: really do. I mean, they were cute.
2: They were cute, but they're, they're not well performed, and they're not up to that sort of level of the Disney musical or other sort of, uh, you know, sort of kids animated musical. With the, the, they're they're catchy to an extent, but they're not performed super well. And that's, I mean, partly because they are using the the the, the, the typical puppet directors and puppet voices uh, in doing that. And there's only so much range you've got singing if you're Kermit the Frog. And uh, so, I mean, I get mm-hmm. that.
0: Yeah, you know. So, high so, hole. so the song where, where Tiny Tim is on on uh, Kermit's shoulder and they're they're walking down the street and singing together that's that's not that's not catchy. Not, it's not good. Not, I love that. I, mean, it's I love a, a bit. it. It's, okay. it's short. It's only like thirty seconds. I think, it, but it's it, great. It is okay. I guess is
2: what I would say. It, it's not up to the level of just, again, sort of a standard I guess I've got in my mind right now in, in terms of just evaluative quality uh, with that. Also, um, I don't know that I love just the sort of uh, adult humor stuff that gets thrown in in these kind of movies anyway. That's really – most of it's not there. But every once in a while they throw something in where one of the rats say is you know something like, I'm freezing my assets off – and, uh, and another point at which, since we have, uh, we're have, we using the two uh, movie critic guys uh, for Marley and Marley. Statler
3: and Waldorf. That's like one of the, oh,
2: you don't like that? It's Jacob and Robert Marley, you know, Bob Marley. I mean, I know the Muppets guys all smoked a lot of weed, but come on.
3: I, I, oh, I, I, I never even made that.
1: You, I, I, that was the first thing I thought. I Is was it, like, of I, I kept thinking about Bob Marley. Of course it's Robert Marley. Well, and then especially when Animal and his band show up. Yes. Yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, now, I love that stuff. And then finally I have to talk about Michael Kane. Now I love Michael Kane. I, I worship at the church of Michael Kane. What, what are you going to say about uh, but I will That say was
1: terrible. I'm sorry. It was a real bad that Michael was Caine. really bad. I'm I'm <laughs> That's 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 like top 5 worst impressions I've ever done on this show. Uh, yeah.
2: Um well, okay. That's, that'd be a hard list for me to make. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, but but I would say this about Kane and his performance is that he is great at heart-stricken. Mm-hmm. He is great mm-hmm. at this idea spirit tell me there's some other way. He's great at who could they be talking about? He he's great at when that moment when their revelation of the thing that no one wants uh sh- you know to show up on their doorstep turns out to be himself. Like his performance there is absolutely stellar. And that's
1: a really like tiny moment. Like yeah. he he just reacts to it with his face. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't comment on that revelation that they're the, the least the thing they want least around is him. Yeah. That is a really great tiny moment.
2: I, I love that. I don't believe mean Scrooge. Yeah. as Much. No, I really don't. Um, I, I really have trouble believing that from Michael Caine. I, like when per- he's in his
0: office and he's, yeah, he's threatening to fire his employees. I, I, it feels like he's
2: just playing that role, and it okay. It, it feels more like he's reading the lines uh, at the appropriate volume and perhaps voice timbre. But his voice is just in his acting and in, in his presence in, of just you know his body as instrument. Well, just I think isn't I, quite I, there I, for I, me.
1: I wonder if some of that might not be our baggage with Michael Caine, um, because over the last ten years or so, I mean his perf- his Roles have veered much more into, you know, wonderful patron saint of uh, old mentors. Yeah, that's fair.
3: I also do wonder as well if that's not just, we talked a little bit about our baggage with A Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. This is the only version of A Christmas Carol, this this and the one man um, Patrick Stewart production recording of A Christmas Carol, the only Christmas carols I can stand. I find, I, I don't like, this isn't my holiday, like movie and i rewatch every version no this is like there's two versions and i only enjoyed those two versions so i also wonder um the like the whole play you know playing scrooge instead of being like i am acting in this moment is also um, just baggage <clears throat> the viewer, and he probably even make Michael Caine had with the role as well.
2: It just it, it felt a little flat for me. Uh, lastly, I would just talking about production value in general uh, with it. Uh, this movie looks cheap. Um, it does. It looks real Big cheap. Big time. Big time. And and it, for the most part, that's fine. I mean, I grew up with the Muppets and the Muppet Show, and that sort of you know uh, vaudeville. You know, uh, we just threw it all together. Kind of shtick is fine. But this film does seem to. Um, um, reach for something of a higher register, and I think it fails to grasp it. Uh, the most uh, egregious moment of which is uh, when we sort of see the disappearance of the Ghost of Christmas present, and they superimpose some CGI sparkle on top of him. I don't know if you guys noticed that or not. Oh, yeah. But it, it, was, it was real bad.
1: Uh, I I read up on how they, they shot that, which was kind of interesting. Uh, they put the puppet in a fish tank. Oh, really? And then, yeah, with the green screen behind the fish tank and then superimposed that, which is kind of cool, nice. but yeah, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't always work.
0: And, and it was 1992, you have to so keep that in mind. Oh, for sure. Mind, just, I, 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 yeah. I did really like well, the... Well, they gu- made Jurassic Park the next year, but, I mean, so I there's potential re- there. <laughs>
1: I did really like the Ghost of uh, Christmas Present. He was great. I want to mm. hang out with that guy. That's my that guy's my fucking jam.
2: That that is that is my Ghost of Christmas Present. Every time I think of the Ghost of pre- Christmas Present, I think of that particular puppet. and Of all the adaptations I've ever seen,
1: so uh,
2: it's definitely it's definitely a lot of good in the movie. There's
3: definitely a lot I appreciate.
2: I'm a large,
1: absent-minded spirit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ho, 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 ho. Uh, come in, young man, and I, know me more.
3: Um, I one of the things that I find is so interesting about the. Uh, film is the reason why Gonzo and Rizzo are involved at all is because uh, Henson and uh, the rest of the the screenwriters they decided but they thought it would be really one thing that they felt like other adaptations of Christmas Carol miss out on is Dickens Mm. really incredible prose and the storytelling aspect there's like a lot of really like the whole you know darkness is cheap and Scrooge liked it you know like there's my kind of guy all these like very famous lines that oftentimes hit the cutting room floor because they there's no way to incorporate just, you know the narrative.
2: Yeah, well, I guess inclusion, uh, conclusion, just to wrap up this uh, review bit. Uh, collusion. One, uh, conclusion, collusion with uh, the history of one Charles Dickens. Uh, he made a lot of his sort of uh, spending money uh, by doing oral interpretive uh, performances of A Christmas Carol and some of his other works. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is a thing that happened, and so I do like that inclusion of uh, Gonzo as narrator uh, in this film. So uh, there you go, dear listener. You know our biases. They're generally pro with some quibbles and questions here and there, but we generally like this movie. Uh, but I think it's enough of this foolishness at this point. I think it's time to play the game.
3: Time to play the game. Time to play the game!
2: <laughs> this week's game is our top 3 muppet literary adaptations. It's the pitch game.
3: That's right. Our top three Muppet literary adaptations brought to you by A Muppet Christmas Carol. A Muppet Christmas Carol. There's a goose and it's larger than me.
1: That's uh, it, that's uh, it's more British than I do, but it was really good. I liked Thanks. That. Uh, that was really good. Yeah,
2: you get me on the stick, brother.
1: Uh, yeah, I was I was working on something else. You know what? I'm just going to let her do it from now on. It sounded really good. I liked it. Um, All righty, well, let's go around the table to my left. Dalton Stewart, what are your uh, three literary adaptations you'd like to
2: suggest uh, the Muppets uh, get the Muppet treatment?
1: Pass. I don't read books. No, I'm kidding. Um, All right, first and foremost, we're going to do Hamlet. Uh, Kermit the Frog as Hamlet, uh, Miss Piggy as uh, Ophelia, uh, and fill out the rest of the cast to your heart's content. I mostly want to do that, though, so we can then move on to the Muppets, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yes! Yes.
3: Oh, my God. (laughs) It's really
1: really what I'm looking for. Um, because that that just really fills me with a great deal of joy, and I think we could wrap it all up uh, with uh, the Muppets presents Tennessee Williams Glass Menagerie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, please. <laughs> to all the uh, the the homoerotic subtext. I feel like it's gonna be really <laughs> great. Uh, here's my favorite thing about Tennessee Williams: uh, is that uh, he was so gay uh, and couldn't talk about being gay because he was a playwright in, you know, what, 1930s? Yeah, he liked to work. Yeah, I mean, man, and he put out some work. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just love every adaptation of his work, especially, like, he had on a hot tin roof where it's just like, no, don't worry, Paul Newman's not gay, wink. That's so great. Um, But yeah, I I, I think uh, it would be a lot of fun to see the Muppets do something completely not Muppet, uh, which they do here, uh, and they've done before with uh, Muppet Treasure Island. I mean, there's a reason we decided this would be the game because they've done a lot of really interesting uh adaptations and i, I think that would be a lot of fun and uh, i think they've done enough children's stories let's uh everybody's obsessed with grim and gritty still we're we're not quite out of that yet so let's uh let's really get weird with it
2: all right i like it thank you very much mr dalton stewart Ms. alexander Bohannon. what are your selections
3: wow dalton just totally took that a direction i was not expecting so You're welcome. Uh, yeah my my list maybe got a little longer so my selections for li- ma- literary adaptations, I want Pride and Prejudice. Uh, <laughs> Kermit is uh, obviously uh, Darcy. Kermit, Darcy. Kermit, Kermit's Darcy. Piggy yeah, is Yeah, I kept wanting uh, to say Heathcliff, and I'm
0: like, no, that's not yeah.
3: right. <laughs> basically. Um that could be an interesting Bennett.
0: adaptation too, though. Yeah, yes, it could. Oh have. my
3: God, you could have, even though technically Darcy and Bingley are not related, having Robin as Bingley, that would be adorable. Um Man, I just now I really want this. I think it, I think this is very ripe for there are enough like female pig puppets that aren't like the main lead puppet that I feel like they could have all the Elizabeth sisters. Um, another one, uh, Oliver Twist. That's like straight up uh, muppet ter- territory in terms of realistically being done, not like a glass menagerie. <laughs> <laughs> um another one i think this would be perfect because we could have uh gonzo really going to town on this is the strange case of dr jekyll and mr hyde yeah Ooh, yeah yeah that
1: I, that's really that's a great pick
3: yeah because you could have gonzo become
1: animal yeah yes that's oh that's good
3: oh my gosh that, that's blowing my face off i'm surprised this doesn't exist yet And last but not least, uh, this is as gritty and dark as I was allowed to let myself go. Uh, But I would be really interested to see The Great Gatsby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. that would be really ah. interesting. So, so would
0: Kermit be Gatsby?
3: Absolutely. Of course, he is. And Darcy, uh, I'm not. Piggy, has to, Piggy be, has to be Daisy Buchanan. Daisy, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, oh Ooh, my gosh. Nick.
0: Would, would Gonzo
2: be Nick since he's done the narrator thing so I well? I feel like already. I think that
3: yeah. works so well. Yeah, I think so. Could <laughs> And then Rizzo could be uh, <laughs> her husband that. Uh, oh, the,
2: the yeah, the jerk face. Whatever yeah, his that name is. Yeah. sleeps around.
3: Yeah. Joel Edgerton. Yes,
1: <laughs> I just I, I just keep seeing Joel Edgerton in the the Bosler one. Uh,
3: but yes, yeah, so those are my uh, literary adaptations of the Muppets that they I would have like. to
2: do Jay Z on the soundtrack themselves though, or it doesn't count. That's, oh that, man, that, that, that I would love rule.
3: all of the musical. Oh sorry, yeah, yeah
2: I would love, love it, the love musical numbers that came Ooh. from this.
1: I can't do Kermit. I was gonna do Ninety Nine Problems, but I can't do Kermit.
2: I've got Ninety Nine Problems, but the but the pig ain't one. <laughs> oh my god,
3: <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Hi-ho. Well, we uh, <laughs> all had that we all had that Professor Hayes that God. sounds exactly like Kermit the Frog. Kermit in thing. his natural voice it's, it's amazing. Uh,
0: all right, well, thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohan. The bar has been set, Mr. Caleb Masters. What say you? Um, well, I'm going to do take things a little bit different direction. Uh, I actually want them to flesh out. There's a sketch done on the Muppet Show where there's uh, Frankenstein uh, where Beaker oh. plays Dr. Oh. Frankenstein. Uh, yeah. and I, I want to see that I. W- <laughs> beep, beep. Yeah, I want to see that taken uh, to like a, a at least a, an hour long feature because I think there's enough material of Frankenstein for that to happen.
1: Animal would be the creature, correct? You could do animal. You could do Kermit
0: too. That's interesting. Um, as well I've seen. Green. I think it's a Kermit in the sketch. But yeah, animal would actually be a really good one for that. Um, next, I want to go look at the Hunger Games. <laughs> um, so we're gonna wait. <laughs> what <laughs> you said? You said, you said uh, we said uh, literature adaptations and uh, Hunger Games is young adult literature, and I'm trying to. You know the thing about it's a book made of words and and, paper, and it's not. No, I don't even really like it that much. But I'm saying, if you want to keep hip with the cool kids, uh, because apparently that's what the Muppets are trying to do these days, uh, you keep J Law as Katniss, but then you replace Peta with Gonzo and Gale with Kermit. Okay, and then and then like once you get inside the arena, Sweetums could be like the giant dogs at the end, like a bunch of different Sweetums. That's the giant monster puppet you see chasing stuff around usually. So good, Um, uh, Miss Piggy, uh, Madam Snow. Uh, you know, I think that there's a lot of potential here uh, for a really fun adaptation. No, no. This is just totally weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's wonky. I'm just saying it could be a lot of fun. Uh, and the, I want to see Les Mis, Uh You know, also, I, I would love to keep Hugh Jackman, although not serious Hugh Jackman. Playful Hugh Jackman. Same role. He just takes it way fun Hugh Jackman way. But... I want to see Javert played by um, Fozzie the Bear, who was a comedian who had. That's
2: exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, you know,
0: he's Fozzie the Bear. He had, a, he had a comedian, he had a joke that no one got, so he was convinced no one could ever get jokes ever again. So that's kind of his drive. Monster leading the revolution, revolutionaries. I don't know. I think it could be
2: fun. Alrighty, well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. Okay, my serious picks. I will begin with them. I have three silly picks I want to throw out there at the end, but serious picks. Doctor Faust with Fozzie the bear selling his soul for fame and fortune. Oh my God, that's
3: perfect. Yeah,
2: and who's uh, who's Mephisto? Uh, who Mephisto? Oh, Gonzo, obviously. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Gonzo just feels like the right choice for so many different yeah, things. Really, Gonzo's
0: amazing. Yeah, he's... he's, he's he actually, he, In the history of the, the Muppets, he's played a lot of different types of characters and different roles in the cast, too. Yeah. I, I think
1: that's probably why we keep going to him. Yeah, he and, and he's also
3: of kind of, like... He is constantly cast in that narrator role cuz Caleb and I were probably the only person that watched uh, Muppet Classic Theater um in which he ba- he plays the narrator f- narrating fairy tales. So, yeah,
0: he he is the definitive narrator
2: of yes. Muppets. Um, I also want to see an adaptation of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes. Bless. Um, yes, yes, Studying Scarlet, I think, for that sure. That checks out, yeah, yeah for that, sure. I love this. And, of course, Kermit is Holmes. Um, I'm not sure about Watson. I go back and forth between Fozzie
0: and, and Gonzo. Uh, Gonzo. Yeah, I think Fozzie feels
1: I think Gonzo feels great.
0: more like a Moriarty to me anyway. Yeah. And we've <gasps> got to sort of yeah. interact that somehow. Yeah. I, I think that could be a lot of it, because Gonzo can play a really fun villain, too, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And so there is uh, definitely that at work
2: uh, for me. Uh, lastly, I, I really, really, be just because of my own fandom, um, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula from the Muppets. I mean, we've got to make that thing happen. And, of course, Gonzo is Dracula himself because he is weird and different and from the other places. And so we've got Harker as Kermit. We've got Mina as uh, uh, Miss Piggy. I'm not so sure about Lucy. Um there's some interesting things to be done there. I'm thinking about the lady in the band.
1: Uh, uh I'm sorry, I was just thinking about Van Helsing. Sam the Eagle. S- Sam
2: the Eagle is Van Helsing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, all right. That <laughs> fits. Thank you. <laughs> I can get behind that. He's Dutch, not American. But anyway, that, not that'll important. be fine. Um, but for my good Yeah, you know
1: who else isn't Dutch? Fucking Anthony Hopkins. Correct. You know who else isn't British? Fucking Keanu Reeves. It doesn't right. matter. Nothing right. matters. Right,
2: Well, I mean, Sam the Eagle is the character. He'd have to play it British, and that would
1: be... Yeah, just like in this movie. Just like, well, it's, yeah, for like The two American
0: seconds. way. The British, British. way.
2: Yeah, uh, okay, uh, there, there's a thing that could happen there. Um, my, my silly picks, um, I would like to see uh, The Girl with the Pig Tattoo. I would like to see <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Silence of the Hams. <laughs> and finally, I would like to see uh, The Muppets present Cujo. And, uh <laughs> Just for kicks and grins.
1: I, uh, <laughs> I started thinking about... Uh, the Muppets presents uh, Goodfellas with Rizzo the Rat as Henry Hill. Yes. Yes. Please. Oh my God. All my life, I wanted to be R- a gangster. Yeah. yeah.
3: Rizzo is probably one of my favorite.
2: Muppets. The
1: the thing where he gets chased by the uh, the cat puppet in this, and he screams, "I'm from New Jersey." <laughs> yeah. <It's> really? <laughs> it, was it, was really I really liked that. That was fun. It's good <laughs> stuff.
2: <They're> <laughs> 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 the,
3: the that was good. Ca- the cat... The okay. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this, but. All cat Muppets are very weird looking oh, like yeah. nobody ever like, yeah, they, they look get like other a... shapes down really well. But cats look always very strange. They look
1: like a fucking fever dream cat. Yeah, I don't because know what happened to my, my voice. <clears throat> they look like a fucking fever dream. Yeah, yeah they're terrifying. <laughs> their Their eyes are a little wrong. They're it's yeah, they're just the wrong Super main. They looking. came back wrong. Yeah.
2: Oh, Muppet's pet cemetery. I take them oh, through back. Oh man. <laughs> That's my monster. Yeah, I want, boy. <laughs> okay, moving uh, right along guys. Muppet Salem's lot.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah, just all the scenes. And all this is going to lead to the Muppet the the, the Muppet Tower. The Muppet, the tower, the Muppet Muppet Muppets tower. yeah. Muppet's <laughs> present dark tower. I don't know.
1: Muppet shining. Um. Ooh. Actually, okay, actually right, hold consider on. Hold that on, my oh, Here's
2: Kermit. Um.
1: Ker- Kermit is um Kermit <laughs> Cat- or oh, Scatman okay. Crothers. Um Oh God. Jack oh Nixon's this is hard. Jack yeah, Jack Nicholson's Jack Nicholson.
3: And Robin uh, is the kid.
1: Yeah, is is um oh my god, Danny. Oh, this is oh man, my brain is just like exploding <laughs> right now. I can't Shelly
2: Duvall is Big Piggy? Piggy. Piggy Yeah, um
1: Gonzo is Lloyd, the bartender.
2: (laughs) Yes, of course. Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) You've
3: always been
1: here. I can't do a Gonzo voice. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. I love
2: it. Uh, That makes me very happy. Dear listener, this game is a game that keeps getting played. It is the gift of Christmas to you all. We'd like to play the game with you all via those magical means we all know as social media. So I'm going to go to you, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Can you tell them a place or two on the interwebs uh, where which and within which we may have these conversations?
3: Sure thing. Dustin. And you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash good trash media. You can find us on Instagram at good trash media. You can find us at our parent website at good trash media.com. And you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash GTM.
2: Very good. Thank you very much for that. Mr. Dalton Stewart, there remains yet a means. Uh, Could you say words about it?
1: I suppose I can if I must. Uh, you can find the Good Trash genre cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. That is once again at good underscore trash. That is the means to contact us uh, on Twitter for not just this show but all the other content uh, we produce through Good Trash Media. Um, we have fun with with our our followers on Twitter,
2: but well, we are having a good time and we're going to keep on having a good time because it's now time to get down to business. That's right, dear listener, and that business in question is, as always, analysis. I am so stoked to hear the words again that these humans will say to me about puppets, and so uh, we're gonna meet puppetry and humanity in all kinds of fun analysis. I'm gonna go to you first, picker of the film, Mr. Caleb Masters. What analysis do you bring?
0: Yeah, well, let's just talk about the Muppets in general, kind of like what they do. Uh, they they're always about. There's a little. There's always a hint of satire, hint of parody, but it's. I think it's real. which really it's always fascinating about me is is kind of that meta storytelling where they're. They're a show within a show, right? Going back to the original Muppet Show, and and then e- even in their films, you're always like they always know that they're in a production of some sort, which I think's a, a lot of fun and actually is a forerunner to a lot of a number of films we've talked about on this podcast, like Scream or, or The Cabin of the Woods, a lot of different things like that, where you have uh you know your characters realize they're inside of some sort of a production, and this one just happens to be kid friendly. Uh, but it's been this way all the way since uh, the Muppet Show debuted back in 1976. And I, I think this is still a spirit that is very much in line with what we see here in the Muppet Carol, uh, Christmas Carol. And and the reason I brought up my review that this is, you know, hinting at kind of that stage play adaptation, I really think this is supposed to feel extremely stagey because what they are doing is they're making a, a full-length feature film version of their version of the stage play that they would probably put on the Muppet show normally. Like, the whole thing is presented as... Uh, a show that you, uh, a long-form sketch you would see on The Muppet Show, but instead of uh, going through the whole, you know, all of the setup of, hey, this is The Muppet Show, yada, yada, they just give us the production. So, because the nice thing about The Muppet Show, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, uh, is that a lot of times you don't see all of the sketches, you, you see a lot of the drama going on backstage, so you don't always get to see the, the plays or the sketches uh, or the shows that they're actually putting on for the audience. So what you get here uh, with Muppet Christmas Carol, Muppet Treasure Island, and a lot of their films is you get to see what one of their actual productions says. And what I think that this is trying to communicate is it's trying to, you know, make a, a deeper connection with the characters in the film and the audience, um, and, and also trying to subvert some of the things we, we know um, about said classic literature uh, in this point. that There's a really great line where Statler and Waldorf are basically, they're, they're making fun of you know, Scrooge's lines he says that's a bad pun come on now you know it's, it, there's, a, there's a lot of little things like that that imply that the characters themselves find the source material kind of silly um, in the end which lends it to criticism that we should all kind of watch said films with that kind of eye um, so I think this is a phenomenon that you, you see throughout Muppet history and uh, I think most times it works although recently there was a show on ABC that kind of tried to do the same type of thing uh, with like your late night shows yeah it's like the,
1: the, the most recent uh, attempt to revive the Muppets yeah on, yeah on TV
0: and not the not the films yeah. but there was a TV show which kind of tried to try to put them in a modern context and I think this is why you see did they get a second season no it was it, just a one it and done canceled. and honestly I try I actually watched about four episodes and it was really bad it's
1: not particularly good well, yeah I watched a couple
0: it, well because they were it's it's the thing about the Muppets that's really special is while they are, I think it's incredibly smart and well written, and it works for, uh, you know, families. is It works for families. What that What that show tried to do is it tries to actually target their millennial audience, through like twenties or thirty something, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of crude jokes and things in there that I'm like, this doesn't feel in character with what the Muppets have always kind of been about.
1: Well, the Muppets are like Pixar, right? It's not necessarily for families, but you can enjoy it as a family, right? Right. Yeah. Correct.
3: Um, just to caveat on this, because it's super relevant. Whenever I heard um, Jason Siegel uh, speak about his time on the Muppets at Austin Film Festival, he said that, whenever he was in development for the Muppets, the film from 2011, he they give you like a playbook of, this is what the Muppets can and can't do. And, oh, that's interesting. You no, know, it's super fascinating, like what kinds of humor you can do. And the thing is, is like uh, the humor can never punch down. It can only ever like, how humor can never be at the expense of someone else uh which can which stops it from being like you know mean and then except another, for his other rap r- well i yeah but i get i get yeah, yeah I like, so it can't like just it, it be can at, be
1: physical but it can't like be it, it mean
3: yeah at someone's expense and then the other thing that kind of ties into your point um about the adultness is that it it has like The Muppets are kind of in this like bubble that's a bit isolated, like purposefully from like current events. So you don't get into, you know, this kind of stuff where you're commenting uh, upon what's going on in like, you know, real society. And and where it, it, they apparently had this like huge debate about the inclusion of the line, uh, fart shoes from Fozzie. Like that was like, that's funny, like a contentious (laughs) debate. And so there's a certain level of appropriateness that the Muppets are allowed, and so it's interesting <laughs> to know that the show pushed the envelope and it and it, it, and fart, that didn't work. Fart it, shoes, it it yeah. It was whoa, <laughs> fart
1: shoes. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> it's funny.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was it was off brand. So uh, I mean, I, I guess it goes to say that I think that the, the, the Muppets works best when it is servicing families, and, and it does And I think it's fine that it actually exists in that bubble, um, having us question a lot of those stories that everyone. Kids generally are going to read or watch, and I think that's kind of what makes it special. Um, and whenever, whenever they step outside of that, whenever they take that, you know, th- that kind of uh, satirical logic outside of their their family friendly or those uh, the, the the classic literature uh, stories, what you see is something that feels like a poor imitator of better satire, I suppose. Um, so uh, again, I think this is why The Muppets is a, is, a, is a real treasure to families. Uh, and I would I would I would say this is definitely one film that families should be showing themselves as they watch the actual things they're spoofing.
2: Excellent. Thank you very much for that Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what analysis do you bring?
1: I I don't really have much for you this week guys, I'm sad to say. Uh, But one thing I did want to mention that I I think is really interesting, and I feel like we've touched on this before uh, on this program, but I I think one of the things that works really well about um, taking classical literature uh, and making it uh, you know, uh, populating it with puppets or cartoon characters um, and I think it's a really noble pursuit to try and introduce uh, young children uh, to classical arts and I, I think that's I think I'm almost certain we talked about this way way back when we did Treasure Planet um, the Disney failure uh, from 2002 um, failure commercially I think critically it did okay and we, we all liked it well enough and we love it it was fine but my, my point is I, I I think there's something really special about that and if you look throughout the Muppets canon, um, they do that a lot. But I think really, th- this was the era for that. It seems like because I-, I look back on the things that I consumed as a child in the early '90s, and not just classical literature, but um, a lot of the Nickelodeon cartoons that uh, I look back on, uh, they were all like referencing like classical film. I think there, I can think of I think Rugrats and Hey Haydu- hey Arnold, and I'm trying, there's a couple of different cartoons that specifically reference Casablanca. Um, and I think that is one of the better things for children's programming to do is try and work in some sort of, uh, nod or, or homage to things that children are going to need to know to understand culture. Uh, and, and I, I think that's really important. I think it's really special. Um, and I, I think it's it's kind of noble, and I, I respect that about people who choose to work in children's entertainment, uh, is, is not to just entertain children, and, and not just educate them, but also culture them to some extent, uh, and, and teach them things that they're going to need to know. Um, I struggle with this a lot. Um, I'm, I don't have any children, but uh, I wonder, uh, if you've listened to this show more than once, you know that I have a very complicated relationship with organized religion. Mm-hmm. That said... Growing up in uh, organized religion taught me a lot of the things that I need to know to understand Western culture, Um, and I think that's just something I think about all the time is how do you introduce these stories, uh, be they religiously based or be they classical literature, how did you introduce these stories to children, these stories that frankly aren't always palatable. Uh, both in terms of entertainment and also in terms of their message. But how do you communicate these things to children that are really important to know and to understand to go out into the world and consume art and consume media? things You need to, know. You need to have some grasp over The Fable of Cain and Abel. You need to have some, uh, some grasp of A Christmas Carol. These are things that you need to know about to be able to fully understand Western media and Western art. And I, I think what the Muppets are doing is really important.
0: Yeah, and I mean, really, just to, to take that a step further, I think it's it's really important, because I do not Not only, I think, is it in, in, introducing children to those things, it's also kind of, it, it is criticizing them in a very playful, spirit. <laughs> Absolutely. Way and saying, hey, this is a great, obviously we're doing this, this is great, you should watch it, but here's some things that are wrong with the material at hand.
1: I mean, watching this was the very first time that it ever occurred to me, and I was texting you guys as I was watching this. Uh, it had never occurred to me before, but I was watching, I was like, wait a second, is Ebenezer Scrooge, like, a complete Jewish caricature like it never occurred to me before and I don't know if that was the way the Muppets had more more presenting it um and we did, we went back and forth on this in our group chat and Arthur pulled this massive amount of literature there's been a ton of writing on this about whether or not Dickens himself was an anti-Semite and whether or not Ebenezer Scrooge is an anti-Semitic character um so we, we could literally do an entire episode just about this conversation, but I think what's more important than the outcome of the conversation is having that conversation. Correct. And I, I think it was just really surprising to me that it never occurred to me, and I've seen several versions of A Christmas Carol, and for whatever reason, this was the first time it ever like clicked for me. Um, also, sub-note that I meant to bring up earlier, okay, so Kermit goes into Ebenezer's office, right? And he's like, hey, tomorrow's Christmas. Can we have the day off? And I'm sitting there thinking, wait a second. It seems like Kermit's worked for him for like a while, like probably a couple of years at least. How the fuck have they never had this conversation before? Did Christmas always fall on a weekend? What? That—that's it. That's all I had for that. Dustin, you were looking at me like you wanted to say something about um, anti-Semitism.
2: Uh, well, uh, about a couple things. I guess i was talking more about the uh, cultural, literal um, uh, literacy um, aspect that you—you okay. were, were—you were touching on there earlier, uh, and I, there, there's a couple points to be made. First of all. Uh, whether or not Scrooge himself is an anti-Semitic uh, caricature, and whether or not there's any, he anti- definitely Semit- embodies
1: Victorian tropes about Jewish people.
2: Certainly does, and the way in which uh, Scrooge-like characteristics are then shorthanded in contemporary mm-hmm, literature mm-hmm. and writing, uh, in order to create sort of Jewish stereotypes, I think is important. But again, as you say, you don't know those references. You know You're not connected to those dots unless you're introduced uh, to the base material. Uh, well, all,
1: it's also a a, a, a classic redemption story Mm -hmm. that I think is really important in culture.
2: And the last thing I would simply say is this is just that the way um, story writing right now, uh, the way literature is going forward, uh, both in graphic novels and in, you know, literature proper, I suppose, if you want to say proper, but that's a whole other conversation um, is that there are these references uh, that you do have to have some understanding or you're just simply not going to get them. You mentioned the Cain and Abel fable uh, a little bit ago and kind uh, of a big one. It's, it's huge. Um, interestingly, I was reading The Sandman just the other day mm-hmm. and uh, Cain and Abel both live in the land of dream, um, yep. as you may or may not. Not know from the book of Genesis, uh, Cain is sent away east of Eden to the land of Nod uh, in the Bible, and uh, Gaiman just plays with a the pun there. It's the sleepy land. It's yeah. the land of dreams, yeah. and that's where uh, you know Cain ends up taking up residence, which is interesting. But you won't get
1: that. There's also a lot of uh, fun, like uh, if you get into uh, if you're into vampires and shit, there's a lot of uh, references to Cain uh, in vampire lore um, for things that are really lore heavy. They often and also Judas, yeah. Uh, it's it's really interesting, uh, and I it, Judas is a big one. Oh, my God. Really, like, the entire, like, last five stories about Jesus, you kind of need to know those mm-hmm. if you're going to study Western art. They they come up a lot. So, I don't know. It's just, I think it's interesting.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Bring some analysis to The Muppet Christmas Carol.
3: Sure thing. So, what we're going to talk about is a little different from what my uh, peers have talked about today. I'm going to examine uh, some issues regarding distribution and the edits of this film, because there are two. Um, so some things important things to note, there were some songs... That don't did not make it to the final theatrical release. Um, they and,
1: are also not in the version streaming on HBO, or is
0: in the Blu-ray that was released a couple of years ago.
3: That is true. So, uh, there are three songs, uh, two of which were never were filmed, but were never even in consideration to be in the movie. They like
1: immediately knew that they were going to yes. cut them.
3: So, one is uh, "Room in Your Heart" by Doctor Honeydew and Beaker as the charity workers. Um, and the other is Chairman of the Board, sung by Sam the Eagle as Scrooge's headmaster.
0: Yes, I want to um, see that on YouTube somewhere.
3: I would love to see both of those. So both of them were recorded, but not... So they were, they were already recorded, but they were dropped from the script before they started filming, in order to help the flow of the story. Now, the last song that I'm going to talk about today, and that's what we're going to talk about the whole time, is uh, When Love is Gone. That's a. This
1: is the song between Scrooge and his lady friend, that right? That is
3: correct. So, um, yeah. So, When Love Was Gone uh, was the same situation. It was recorded. They actually did film the entire sequence. Um, however, whenever the story goes that Jeffrey Katzenberg at Disney um, watched the entire film, and then whenever it was time to decide what was going to Actually, be airing in theaters, decided that using his uh, producer power to cut that song from the film because it because it does slow the pace of the film down. I,
1: I believe uh, he also was quoted as saying it was too sad for a children's film. Yes, right?
3: um, and that they they were concerned. The people at Disney were concerned that it wouldn't read well for kids to. And I t- totally understand, because my thing is, is, like, I have seen the, quote, extended version, because that was the first release had the full uh, cut on VHS. So I've seen the version with with Love Was Gone, and, yeah, as a kid, totally fast-forwarded through that song. Um, well, you
1: can totally tell, though. Um, oh, yeah. That it, there's a, been a huge cut.
3: Absolutely. Because, like, it's
1: just like there's a weird dissolve, and then everyone's crying. It it, it jumps really,
0: really bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost tonally jarring, honestly.
3: Well, it is. That's the thing. And so, that's kind of why I wanted to talk to you a bit today about the fact that the studio executives decided to interfere um, to the point where it actually hinders the end result of the film. Because what it does is, yeah, it totally cripples this huge, emotionally stirring, moving, and touching moment of the film because... The whole song is about um, Scrooge's young, uh, you know, lover, girlfriend.
1: She was fine.
3: Yeah. And and she, she's like, yeah, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> um, so she's singing about how Scrooge, you know, only wants money. And it kind of sets up his emotional stakes and why Scrooge kind of acts the way he miserly for the rest of the movie.
1: Well, and there's this really great, uh, I feel like I must have forgotten about it uh but the whole sequence of Ghost of Christmas Past is really interesting um, because it really does humanize humanize Scrooge in a way that I think is important because exactly. he associates Christmas, and I fucking, I know people like this. I've been like this in my life. There are certain times or things that you associate with unpleasantness, um, and, and that's Scrooge doesn't like Christmas because he was always alone. Uh, does it ever flat out say he was an orphan or his parents just not around? I don't know, but... He's his, uh, clear.
0: If you go, I think if you go further into the uh, the actual source material, mm-hmm. um, there was like some complicated marriage gotcha. things that went on there. So he, either way, his uh, I don't for know, whatever reason you might, you might know better than I do. I, if I recall correctly, it's something with his parentage and like his father just found it easier to leave him at boarding school. Yes, there's uh, an entire other character that's in the novel. I think he's like an older sister or half sister that actually really loves him. That is totally cut from this film.
1: Interesting. So I think that's that whole sequence with him at boarding school. Like, he associates Christmas with being fucking stuck at school and then, like, the love of his life leaving him because he can't get over, like, being afraid of being poor.
3: Yeah. No, I mean, and and that's so interesting. Which
1: makes his miserliness much more interesting. He's not just cheap, he's afraid of being poor
3: yeah he's afraid of being poor and he's afraid of certain amounts of emotional vulnerability because he didn't have to do that whenever he was you know in his formative years Gee, that's
1: uh, that's not something anybody at this table can relate to oh
3: certainly not um but one of my favorite parts of this cut song which you can watch in its entirety on youtube and specific dvd releases um is the fact that at the end of the song you have ghost uh you have present scrooge played by michael caine singing this song with her at the very end mm. standing behind her oh yeah Jeez. if that if like I always get choked up at that moment because it is it's heart-wrenching it's the fact that he is thought of this moment so much that he knows exactly what she has said oh man and that he has yeah. internalized that so hard that Yikes. he he knows what she has said okay so that's a very integral scene and then it's the the really interesting part is that the the result without this song uh kind of cripples the rest of the movie because you have that emotional moment gone but then at the very end you have this reprise of this song um you know when love was found which takes the the um takes the melody of this song when love is gone and changes the words to, you know, as this kind of redemptive narrative, but, but without having this original song in the, the longer cut, you don't have that kind of conclusion. Um, so when they come around back to that song, you're just like, Oh, it's another song instead of being like, Oh, it's this kind of moment. And it kind of finishes this, this story and kind of redeem Scrooge has finally been redeemed he can finally find love because love was lost from his life.
2: Uh, I don't know which version I've watched. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've seen the version with where love was lost, but I did not even recall or miss it uh, as I watched it this time, but it does make it a better film. So. Yeah. Likely it was the VHS I watched.
3: Yeah, so it was on that VHS because I saw it growing up. It's also on a very specific, to. I think it's about 2006 or 2008 DVD release of this movie. The whole gist of the matter is that to have studio intervention in a way that kind of cripples the film. It, it's this again, goes back to, you know, our executive overreach of the people at the studios. And it unfortunately makes this movie just once, you know, it was, it, it wasn't there. It makes the movie a little worser for it. And uh, that's kind of all of what I had to say today.
2: Excellent no I, I appreciate that see I do say it at the end, don't I uh, I do appreciate that very very much uh, miss Alexander Bohannon. that is uh that's some interesting information that I was not even aware of uh, its absence or presence uh, in the film so thank you for that um, I want to talk about Dickens uh, a little bit and I want to talk about the sort of ethical message that is uh, tied up in the story, no matter how you go about it, whether it's with uh, Disney characters and Scrooge McDuck and Goofy as Bob Marley, or if you're doing this stuff with Rugrats, or you're doing this stuff with you know any number of uh, various characters of Patrick Stewart and Patrick Stewart and Patrick Stewart and Patrick Stewart, however it is you uh, do this, uh, the, the moral question of the film is one of... Charity. It is one of that there is an issue of poverty in London, and the way that it is to be solved is by uh, good men with money uh, giving their money to help poor people. Um, this is problematic, and this is not characteristic of Dickens in general. Dickens is making a very, very individualistic sort of story, um, that an everyman sort of story, which we can all relate, but this is not Dickens' uh, his own politics, nor the own understanding of the time. Oscar Wilde actually does quite a bit of writing um, at this point particular moment about lots of things. Uh, but, I, I
1: was about, just about to say that, yeah, but, about many, 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 many things.
2: But one thing that he does address is this idea that charity is actually the greatest uh, friend of poverty, um, that by by Hit me up making, top, Dad. That's right. By simply motivating people, say, okay, give a little extra coin at Christmas time or Thanksgiving time. Um, as a person who works uh, daily, weekly with the homeless, uh, and uh, to see you know people I won't see again uh, for another year. Right now, this time of year, there's a there's a mild irritation that I experience uh, about all that. But what Dickens does, uh, even though he is sort of charging the individual to do something to be active, he is also a person who's fully aware of the structural, systemic. A uh, nature of poverty. And even though this motivation is a thing, and it's a thing in which you motivate individuals, but you have to motivate individuals to corporate action to do something systemic about the world. And so I just simply want to make reference to the other work of Dickens that no one talks about, and that is his amazing novel, Bleak House. Bleak right. House! I, yeah, Bleak House for the win, everybody. So good. And it's it's all about this particular sort of... Uh, legal uh, situation regarding inheritances that is a major source of injustice. It definitely um, privileges the powerful and those who are already wealthy and tends to uh, you know tear away any, any possibility of someone making a way forward, especially if that person happens to be a woman or, or um, any other person that is sort of oppressed in any sort of sense. And I, I want to read just a brief, brief section because he is able to cast the city of London itself as a city enshrouded in the fog of this corruption and that what we're trying to take on is not an individual Ebenezer Scrooge to make him the most jolly old man in all the world, you know, uh, but rather we need to take down a system that makes things better and I just want to give you the imagery that he gives of the city.
1: Do you uh, need your uh, reading glasses, Dad? Um,
2: I'm, I'm good, thank you. Okay, uh, appreciate it. Can I borrow yours? Uh, fog everywhere. Fog up the river where it flows
1: among the
2: green airs and meadows. Fog down the river where it rolls defiled Wild among the tears of shipping, the waterside pollutions of a great and dirty city. Fog on the Essex marshes, fogs on the Kentish Heights, fog creeping into the cabooses of collier brigs, fog lying out on the yards and hovering in the rigging of great ships, fog drooping on the gunwales of barges and small boats, fogs in the eyes and the throats of ancient Greenwich pensioners wheezing by the firesides of their wards, fog in the stem and bowl of the afternoon pipe of the wrathful skipper down his closed cabin. Fog Dog, cruelly pinching the toes and fingers of a shivering little prentice boy. ...on the deck.
1: And uh, let's be reminded that when he says fog, he's not talking about them low-lying clouds. My man is talking about coal smoke. Coal smoke. Well, and more specifically, corruption in general. Uh,
2: Just this idea of injustice that has pervaded every inch of British society. And and that's what's got to be In Victorian,
1: London was a fucking shithole. Oh, it was was a dirty place. It's a notoriously shitty place.
2: Yes. Um, the end of the uh, novel... Basically, the clouds break in because they've done something about the law, and they've changed things. And it actually affects the atmosphere, which doesn't mean atmosphere, of the location. Well, this that's is kind of interesting. I like how, I like how there's a du- there really is a double meaning there. Oh, it's I working think. on a it's, whole it's, lot of levels, yeah, that, yeah. that's
1: pretty
0: interesting. So
2: I just want to throw that out there, that, that Dickens is not simply saying, hey, you guys with lots of money, you should be nicer with it. He's not Mitt Romney. That's what I'm trying to say. And uh, that is all, I suppose, I need to say. At this point, so there you go, dear Lister.
1: I, I I really liked. Uh, was that a, a you thought, or is that a, is that a quote? Uh, the charity is the biggest friend of poverty. That's a Oscar Wilde. That's type. Oscar Wilde. Okay, I, I wondered if that was why you brought him up. That's a that's a fucking that's a that's a humdinger. Yeah, that's a that's a banger. That's a, That's an all timer I love that. So um, that's good.
2: That doesn't mean don't help, but it means no. don't just help. Yeah, yeah,
3: you. There's systemic stuff at play. That is causing these situations to
0: always transpire. Don't just give your money once a year and feel like you've done yourself pat yourself on the back. Actually, go out and do something. Because people need
1: money all the time.
0: Exactly. So there you go, dear
2: listener. That's the analysis we bring forward. We're so glad to have Uh, done it. Happy holidays, you all. And uh, therefore, uh, we are going to move on, though, to the verdict aspect like of, that Stephen our, of our show, <laughs> in which we render a verdict with this film, Shelf for Trash, and recommend our else's or instead. So I'm going to go around to my right, Mr. Caleb Master, Shelf for Trash, Else or Instead.
0: Oh yeah, I picked this movie, and I picked it because I watch it every Christmas, and actually, it was funny, and up until this year, I didn't actually own a hard copy of it, but now I own two hard copies of it, because I wanted to watch the original uncut version of the film. I went out and bought the DVD, and I have a copy of the Blu-ray that is well on its way from Amazon once it finally ships uh, so I'll have both the high definition of the best of both worlds uh, so I'm proud to own it and luckily both of them are pretty cheap because the film has been around for a while um, else I would also recommend to go alongside a, a couple of movies that we mentioned at the table today I think M- Muppet Treasure Island is a great follow up if this is your first Muppets experience this one takes it a step further and explores more kind of cl- classic literature and it's loads of fun uh, you also, I would also recommend the the Patrick Stewart Christmas Carol that Alex mentioned, which is like his, his one-man reading. And uh, the version I saw, I haven't seen him do his one-man show, uh, but the, the, the there's a made-for-TV, I believe it's TNT film adaptation made in 1999 that was made because of his one-man show. Um, if you can somehow find it, it's just a Christmas Carol. It's made in 1999. And it stars Patrick Stewart. It's really, really, really good. Um, if you want to see Patrick Stewart do Charles Dickens, it's great. And lastly, guys, it's Christmas time. So that means we have no choice but to watch the greatest Christmas movie ever made. Die Hard. And celebrate with your family. Die, Die Hard. Die Hard. Die Hard. Die Hard. Die hard. Die hard excellent. Thank you for that uh, very much
2: Mr. Caleb Masters. Ms. Alexander Bohannon what do you say? Shelf or Trash? Else or instead?
3: Definitely shelf. I'm a Muppets nerd and also this is my favorite Muppets movie so of course I'm going to say shelf. So in the spirit of Muppets I'm going to do Muppets and literature. So you're going to also watch the it predates the Muppet show Um, there were two made for TV movies. uh, Hey Cinderella and The Frog Prince. Those were uh, made for TV films very 70s and still hilarious uh there was also as i discussed with caleb muppet classic theater from 1994 right close to the re- release date of this movie there's all really really good too they're all lots really of, good like fun. all of them i watched muppet classic the i've watched all three of these in the past year and they still hold up um yeah they look super cheap that's just muppets look really cheap that's just the thing um and for an adult take on um puppetry you should also watch the dark crystal um you got to that's some revolutionary shit in that movie you got to watch that movie that's required literature and then last but not least a movie uh, a television show that i feel draws so closely to uh the muppets tone and especially to this film's tone wishbone that All that right. cultural oh, competency wishbone, dude. that wishbone that was movie so good is integral to your Growth as a human being Wishbone was great Excellent I
2: appreciate that Mr. Dalton Stewart Shelf for trash Shelf
1: for instead oh. <sighs> A v- very soft shelf. Um, you guys know I'm not really the biggest fan of holiday programming. Um, I, I like seasonal programming. I like watching movies about winter uh, or movies that kind of have like a cold, that are s- set in, just have like a cold feel to them. Empire, Empire Strikes Back. Th- oh, yeah, Okay. Yeah. What were you saying? Ingmar Bergman films, right? We would, no. Okay. <laughs> um, that said, I just, I don't, I don't like Christmas movies. Most of them are kind of shitty. The Humbug. Humbug. Um... But but again, th- you could do far worse. If you were wanting to watch a holiday film with your loved ones, you could do a lot worse than A Muppet's Christmas Carol. So I'm going to say a super soft shelf. Uh, Caleb has already recommended the best Christmas movie. I will recommend the second and fourth best Christmas movies, and that is Gremlins uh, and a Lethal Weapon Um those are, you know what? I rewatched Lethal Weapon* recently. Doesn't hold up as well as I uh, remember. So, you, I was kind of bummed out. You know, yeah.
0: *Nice Guys* is also set at Christmas, though, right?
1: Well, that's the third best Christmas movie, and then the actually, the fifth best Christmas movie is Lethal Weapon*. The fourth best Christmas movie is *Kiss Kiss Bang Bang*. Shane Black likes Christmas a lot. I I, I would also recommend. I know we've talked about this quite a bit today, but *The Muppet Treasure Island* is is a, is so good. Um, it's something that I've I've seen dozens of times. I haven't seen it since uh, my childhood. But I'm gonna go ahead and assume that it's still very good because uh, Tim Curry.
3: I'm not Jimmy Jim. Jimmy Jim Jim. He's Jimmy Jim. Jimmy Jim Jim.
1: Bless you. Okay. Um, so yeah, that those are my thoughts uh, on uh, what you could all watch instead. Um, yeah, that, that's that's what I got for you.
2: All righty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I am going to give a very soft trash mm-hmm. in the same way you give a very soft shelf. It's it's good. If you catch it on the telly, you should watch it. Um, if it is uh, on HBO. It, it is streaming on
1: HBO's streaming platforms, and so, yeah. since they own it, I'm sure it will be airing it a lot.
2: So when it comes on, yes, don't change that channel. However, uh, don't buy that movie either, um, is what I would say as well. Uh, Despite you know, again, my my own affections for it. Uh, Bug in 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 terms of Christmassy things. Okay, so if I want to get schmaltzy with Christmas, I, I, I need. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Give yeah. me my Jimmy Stewart. Uh, uh, the the uh, second best Christmas movie of all time. After the kids go to bed, you should watch Eyes Wide Shut. And, oh, shit, I uh, <laughs> forgot that's a Christmas movie. And uh, those are my recommends my uh, r- regarding that. So uh, It's Wonderful Life followed by Eyes Wide Shut. Good you night, had I, I, by all. I,
1: I want to... Thank Caleb for this host pick, uh, because without it, uh, we would have maintained our promise that we made four years ago, which was that we would never, ever, ever do another Christmas movie ever again. Um, I, I believe that was the promise. That,
2: those were words that we said, yeah. Yeah. All righty. Well, that is it for our show. Uh, we don't have a homework to assign you for next week because next week we'll be doing our Shelby Awards, so stay tuned for that and hear what the best and brightest and darkest points were in the course of our year together, uh, doing this thing called Good Trash because really that's what it's all about, guys. It's all about that conversation about the movies. You keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time.
1: The Good Trash Genrecast is
2: produced and edited by
1: Arthur Gordon, direction by Dustin Sells, social media by Alexandra
0: Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also too proud to feature music from Deer Tick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genrecast, as well
1: as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit GoodTrashMedia.com.